could he do that? Are you on What? Charles Darwin. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are coming to you all one day ahead of the beginning of free agency. As far as at least when negotiations can take place, technically the teams can't sign players until August 6th, but we all know how this goes. Once the deals have been agreed to verbally, that's all that really matters. And that's going to start moving fast tomorrow. And things have already begun to move. So today we're going to talk about stuff that has already happened, what's being strongly rumored, some pre-free agency trades, and of course, what we expect to come. So we've got a lot to run down today, but let's start by just briefly addressing the big names who are technically hitting the free agency market, but seem very likely to return to their team. That includes Kawhi Leonard, who has declined his player option for the next season. Chris Paul, who is expected to decline his player option and look for a longer term deal. And then Mike Conley, who is strongly rumored to return to the Jazz right now. There was some anticipation about those first two guys a while back, but given, I would say, the successful campaigns that their teams had, there doesn't seem to be all that much to indicate that they are going to jump ship. Kawhi, there was a brief rumor that the Knicks and uh, some other team who's escaped me might be interested. I don't think that that's going to happen. The reporting seems to be that's not going to happen. But do you have anything to say about those three guys before we get into some of the juicier gossip stuff? Oh, yeah, no, the dynamic duo of Kawhi Leonard and Julius Randle's taking over the <laughs> league. Um, no, I think it's kind of a foregone conclusion. Not a whole lot of teams have the cap space to make moves on these guys anyway, and if they do, the, the Knicks aren't landing any of these guys. I think it's kind of a foregone conclusion uh, that mm-hmm. Kawhi, CP3, and Conley, they're in their best situations possible. I don't think they're going anywhere. Yeah. I'm remembering now that the Mavs were another team that was potentially rumored with Kawhi. That would be interesting, but it just doesn't seem like they're going to do it. For Kawhi, it makes sense given that although he obviously is going to bet on himself and returning to the best version of himself, he is coming off of an ACL injury and surgery and may miss a good chunk of next season and is getting up there in age, like nearing 30 at this point. So I think it makes sense to return to the Clippers, and that's what I expect him to do. So with that out of the way, Let's key in on the biggest guy who is hitting the market and who is hitting the market hard because there's already a bunch of discussion about possible landing spots for this guy. Kyle Lowry, we just saw the Heat bring back Goran Dragic for one more year on a team option at a $19.4 million price tag. It's very possible that that is done with a long-term sign-in trade in mind. At least that's what a lot of people are thinking. We have the Pelicans as a possible target. The Mavs have been discussed as a target. So what do you think about all those locations? Is there a favorite for you? And really, what do you expect to happen with Lowry? Yeah, my definite favorite uh, is the Miami Heat. I'm hoping that they can pull the trigger on a Drogic deal on just some sort of deal to bring him to town. It would give Miami the absolute big three that they need to get out of the East. Uh, Lowry raises their defensive ceiling over a guy like Drogic, and he just does so many little things. Uh, he's necessary. Um, I love Miami as a destination. Um, I also think uh, a team that you didn't mention, I'd love to see him go home to Philadelphia. I think that's another logical landing spot. And another reason that this makes sense, um, if Kyle Lowry ultimately, I don't expect it to happen, if he ultimately decides to re-sign in Toronto as sort of some sort of sign-and-trade deal, the Raptors offered a trade package for Ben Simmons. I mean, it would make sense on both sides. The Raptors were really interested. They ended up turning it down. It was Van Vliet, Ananobi, and I believe the fourth pick. Um, or no, excuse me, Philadelphia turned that down from Toronto. I don't think Daryl Morey thought it was enough, but 
<laughs> I don't know what the guy thinks is enough for Ben Simmons. I would have pulled the trigger on that deal. Um, but I think Philadelphia is a really realistic situation if they can get a sign-and-trade going there. But honestly, man, my dark horse, my official prediction, I would say, is a sign-and-trade to either Miami or Philly. I'd love a move to Dallas, man, to play alongside Luka. They have the cap space if Lowry hits the open market. Luka needs another star, and they're desperate, man. I mean, they're they're hungry. They're The time to strike is now. The iron is hot. They cleared a little cap space by moving off of Richardson. Um, I really like Dallas as a destination for Lowry as well. I just think it's a little too far outside the box. Yeah, so I think that there are some interesting options here. Personally, my favorite might be the Pelicans, and it seems like the Heat is the one that has drummed up the most discussion, and understandably so. They're always aggressive and trying to get free agents, and you can argue that they're a piece away. I guess I just became a little bit cynical about how things ended with them last year because I remained optimistic in them finding that new ceiling, and then, obviously... It ended up being that the Oladipo edition just didn't work out, partly due to health. We never really got to see him out there with the Heat. It was a very limited sample size, four games. But the indications were not that he was playing his best basketball. And so, I don't know. I guess I've just become a little more cynical about talent accumulating in Miami. I think that they would be fine with Drogic back. I think that although he clearly experienced some regression last year, Still a guy who I want on my team who can impact winning in multiple ways with the scoring, the playmaking. Just a good player I want on my basketball team. But for the Pelicans, as I briefly touched on in a previous episode, I just see such a beautiful roadmap for him being that sort of veteran leader who commands the game, that point guard that they have desperately needed, who will control the game and just find Zion and B.I. in their spots over and over again and establish that hard-working identity that is pivotal to him as a player, and I don't think he's going to take them to some championship ceiling, certainly, and that is maybe the downside here, is there are other spots where you can look and say, okay, he's elevating a team like Philly to where maybe they're the favorites out of the East, maybe they're the favorites point-blank, or the Mavs, he's elevating them up to that true contender level. The Pelicans maybe doesn't get them all the way there, but I just want to see that core do something decisive to really spring them into that next level, and clearly last year, the additions they made were suboptimal, to say the least. Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe just didn't work out. Now you bring in Valanchunas. That's a veteran guy who can help you win games. Lowry would be arguably their second best player right now, depending on what he can really do as far as helping them win basketball games, and I think would be even more valuable than that as a leader, as a guy with that winning experience. So I think that's my favorite. It sounds like it's trending towards the heat, though, and that the Pels are going to have to do some active work to make up that deficit because maybe to Lowry they're not as attractive because he's not as likely to win a title there. So, I mean, you say that, you know, it doesn't raise them to a championship ceiling. What does it raise them to? Are they still a fringe playoff team? Do you think they're fighting for a 5-6 seed? Like, like where do the Pelicans go out west? I think that they are probably in that 5-6 seed range, and that means that you are a really good team out west because think about the teams that we saw get bounced in the first round of this year's playoffs. And you can approach this with the mindset of, okay, if we're not leaping into true contention, it doesn't matter all that much. When it comes to a core as young as the Pelicans, though, I just disagree. I think putting Zion and BI in positions where they learn how to win at a high level to where they have those playoff opportunities and also to where it's affirmed to them that, hey, this is an organization where we can win. I just think that's really valuable. I think that's valuable experience. I think that's valuable for morale and keeping them engaged as long-term pieces so I think that that's my favorite option Dallas I would love to just because clearly the Mavs have to do something like you can't have a guy practically 
carrying this team like it's the Slovenian team and competing with some of the best in the NBA and nobody else is stepping up. With THJ on the market, I think they have to bring him back. Clearly, he's a tremendously valuable piece of them. And then if it's not Lowry, there are a couple other options that they can explore, but nothing that would elevate their ceiling to the same level, in my opinion. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, and I think, I don't know, point guard's definitely going to be a spot. It sucks, though, man, because Lowry is kind of the premier target here. After you move off of Lowry, it drops off steep, and these teams are going to be scrambling to find a point guard. I mean, like, I don't know, man. Maybe Dennis Schroeder or Spencer Dinwiddie get a bag after uh, Lowry goes because they're just they're going to be the best guys available. And with Drogic going, too, it raises their price, too. Maybe Lonzo Ball gets a bag, too. Mm-hmm. And what I love about Lowry is that his value is just obviously so much more multi-dimensional than a lot of those guys. And when it comes to putting him alongside a ball-dominant player like a Luka or like a Jimmy Butler or integrating him with just other star offensive players like a Zion, like a B.I., I believe in his ability to adapt so much because of the shooting. We've seen him coexist alongside a guy like Fred Van Vliet where they can be those sort of co-lead ball handlers. Obviously, he was excellent alongside Kawhi. Like, just the shooting defense, playmaking, IQ, effort. Just the ultimate winning package, and that's why I would like to see him in any of these locations. And I'm fascinated seeing how it plans out. To you, if he does end up going to the Heat, what level of contention does that elevate them to in the East? I mean, I think they def. I think they have another run at a championship potentially. I mm. think there's a few more pieces that they need, like, and it's just basically borderline three and D guys that you do to fill out the rest of the roster. Because again, Jimmy and Lowry are going to have the ball in their hands in those scenarios. You bring back a guy like Duncan Robinson. You have Tyler Hero. Like, I don't know. You're going to have a lot of shooting if you bring in just some three and D guys. I think that they're going to be going toe to toe right with the Bucks again. I don't know, man. They're probably my third favorite team out east if they go and make that move. They're just, you've got so many versatile pieces, and most importantly, you've got shooting and you've got defense, the two most valuable things in the NBA today. Um, the heater, the heater, my still odds on favorite. Are they yours? It seems like it. It seems like that is the most likely outcome. And I don't know if it takes them to true championship contention status, but Lowry is clearly the kind of missing piece that they need. They just need that other really dynamic offensive player, and you're not going to get a better iteration of that than Kyle Lowry on this current market because, like, Bam just can't step up regularly and be that second 20-something point-per-game scorer, and when the shots weren't falling from guys you expected to make shots, this offense just disintegrated, as we saw way too many times this year. Obviously, neither of us can get in the head of Kyle Lowry, but uh, what are the chances you think he returns to Toronto? Does not seem likely at this point. I don't know. Which is weird because the Raptors still want to win. That is the indication is that they're making moves with that in mind and there's talk about them bringing in other valuable veteran guys. It just seems like maybe it's more from Lowry's perspective where he wants to truly contend again and I don't know if the Raptors have the pieces to truly contend. The Heat, maybe. I do still see the potential on this roster for that high two-way ceiling, but this was a discouraging past season. And I don't know, the Mavs might be a better option. It's a very tough West, of course, but what they could unlock offensively with Kyle Lowry if they're able to bring back THJ as well, just having that guy who can take the pressure off and can make decisions himself and be a ball handler who's effective in stretches and also knock down big shots off the ball and play defense, it's just like a dream come true there. But I think that the Heat are the favorites right now, and I think it would be very, very good for them for all the reasons that we have laid out today. 
Now, another major guy who's going to be hitting this market is a former teammate of Kyle Lowry's, a longtime teammate, and that is DeMar DeRozan. I don't think either of us are massive DeRozan fans when it comes to him playing, winning basketball, or easily integrating into a bunch of different situations. But what do you think is going to happen with him? And that's what's so confusing about DeMar DeRozan is he's a guy that we're expecting to get paid a lot, but he's not going to be paid you know, to play on a winning basketball team. Like I think there's a few scenarios that I have laid out here. Um, number one, classic New York Knicks move. They just overpay him. Um, I still think that's on the table. If DeMar wants a bag, like there are very few teams that can pay him the amount of money that he is likely going to ask, um, you know, like $20 million a year. I've heard for some reason the Dallas Maverick rumors, like I don't really understand them. The Mavericks are just kind of targeting the top talent. Uh, I'm not a big fan of that fit around Luka. Yeah, he's going to take some pressure off. He's going to be somewhat of a playmaker, but DeMar's just not that kind of player that I want taking the ball out of Luka's hands. He's just not, and he's not a, He's not going to be a really dominant spot-up shooter, which I think is the Mavs' primary need. Um, honestly, I think the most likely route that I've seen with DeMar is a probably a Clippers-Spurs sign-and-trade, something along those lines. The Clips seem really interested in him. He still wants to go to L.A., and with Kawhi being out because of that ACL injury, they're going to need someone to replace that production at the start of the season. And it's not like DeMar's a... Again, DeMar's not a bad basketball player. He's extremely talented. He can still go out there and put up 20 and 6 or 7. And in a situation like this, where when Kawhi and PG are both healthy come playoff time, might be an ideal fit for DeRozan. You're not going to ask him to do too much. You're going to go ask him to go out there and get you 18 and 5 efficiently, which is what he can do if you're not giving him this major role. Um, in this, obviously, the Clips are um, strapped for uh, cap space. That's why a sign-and-trade makes a lot more sense. If they can work something out, the Spurs want to get younger. I don't really know what assets you give up in that kind of move, but I think that's way more likely than DeMar DeRozan just outright taking an extreme pay cut uh, to go to L.A. Um, but that's my official prediction. I think he probably goes to the Clippers off of a sign-and-trade with the Spurs. Um, and I think that's the ideal fit. I don't know any. I don't think there's anywhere else in the league where you can ask Demar Derozan to play winning basketball on a big contract. It's just not out there this off season. So, when he goes to LA and Kawhi is back, does he slide into like a sixth man role effectively, or are you trying to play him alongside PG and Kawhi in those starting minutes? That's a good question. Um, I'd probably have DeRozan as my sixth man, but in closing minutes, I love it. You're going to put Kawhi at the four, DeRozan at the two or the three, PG at the other wing spot, and uh, I think it's a really good closing lineup. You just got shooters all around, and DeRozan's still a guy, again, who in isolation can go out and serve you a bucket regardless. It's not the most efficient style of play, but he's a really good tough shot maker, and as evidenced by Reggie Jackson, man, you need a killer out there sometimes. I'm not saying that DeRozan can be that kind of performer from deep, but in the mid-range, in tight situations, DeRozan is a valuable asset. When it comes to DeMar, I think that it's all really interrelated with his price tag and what your expectations are. Because if you're viewing him as a potential number one or number two option on a great team, I think that you're largely going to be disappointed. And if you're going to pay him $30 million a year, you're going to be disappointed. But the dude is an incredibly skilled basketball player. As you say, that's undeniable. He just gave the Spurs 22-7 and and obviously has come so far as a playmaker to where he can be your de facto point guard in stretches and can be pretty darn good at it on efficient clips. Like he ends up with a 59% true shooting percentage. That's above league average. So it's 
not about his ability to produce as an individual in a situation where he can just kind of go be DeMar DeRozan. It's about fitting him alongside stars because his off-ball value is so minimal. And that's where I worry about putting him alongside PG and Kawhi and saying, okay, you are our number three guy and you are going to go out there and close along these two because it's just like, what do you do with him in those spots? He can't be that catch-and-shooter and I'm not going to put the ball in his hands over Kawhi or PG. So then it's like, okay, I want to have as many creators on my team as I can come playoff time because you need those guys who can go get buckets and create them for others. But if he's going to overlap with players who he can't easily fit alongside, I don't like it as much, which is why I actually am a little bit more inclined to say either he needs to accept that six-man role and excel in it because he would immediately be one of the best six men in basketball, no question, the best, honestly, or... He probably has to be a second guy on a team that is not at that championship level, but is more at that intermediate playoff level. And that's where I do think the Knicks are a very real possibility. Personally, I don't love it for them. Not at all, really. And I think that the biggest problem is that when you're looking at him and Julius Randle, they're two guys who need to really dominate the ball to be effective, who want to get to that mid-range area a lot. Julius is a good enough off-ball shooter, but that's just not what he wants to do the majority of the time. He wants to be that point forward. DeRozan, again, can't give you that off-ball value. So I don't like it personally. What I do think, though, is that this is a team that wants to raise its ceiling desperately and believes probably that a big addition is the way to do that. And they only have $54 million committed right now, and that's with a lot of guys up on the market D-Rose, Noel, Alec Burks, Taj Gibson, Reggie Bullock. But I don't know if they would prioritize any of those guys over DeRozan if they believe he is somebody who can raise their ceiling. So it's going to be interesting because he clearly wants to win, it would seem. like That's why we're seeing him rumored with all these contenders, even though he's not always the most natural fit to a contending team. But only so many of those teams have caps. So if he wants to get paid and win at a moderate level, the Knicks make sense from his perspective And I think from the Knicks' perspective, they're looking at a market that isn't all that favorable and they want to make whatever splash they can. I think DeRozan makes sense. Might end up being a lose-lose at the end of the day, but I think they could see the potential for a win-win there. So I want to ask, you said that uh, a lot of this is contingent on the price tag that DeMar DeRozan demands. So if he's in the right mindset to maybe potentially accept a six-man role like that with Los Angeles, if his price tag is 15 to $20 million, and you can pull the trigger and assign a trade. If you're Los Angeles, would you rather do that or go out and just get a cheap catch-and-shooter who's just going to knock down the attempts he gets? I think I would bring in DeRozan. I, the Clippers don't need more shooting on the wings. They don't need more decent role guys. If they do need anything, it's that third difference maker. Reggie Jackson was that in this postseason. Am I going to bet on that happening again? It's possible, but I really believe that DeRozan would do that. Like, If that is the role he can carve out, that to me is great. I would love to see him in that role because I think it's so hard to say this guy isn't a winning player or whatever. It's just maybe that guy isn't a winning player in the role that he has been put in for the last decade. Like DeMar DeRozan, I just don't think has ever been good enough and has ever played the right style to be a truly great first or second guy on a team. And you can look and say, okay, we're looking at... What is it? Nine straight years in which his team has been worse with him on the floor than when he's off it. That is obviously concerning, but I think that entire dynamic changes if he is just attacking and dissecting bench units and is doing 
a role that is very valuable and not many guys can do at the level that he can. So I'm with you in wanting him to go to the Clippers if he's able to play that role. Personally, though, I would probably put my money on New York for him right now. What's too much? Like, what is the when does the asking price become too much for DeRozan? If you're going well above $20 million, I think that's pushing it. I think 20 is pushing it. Ideally, I would like to give him about 15. I think he's going to demand more than that. And if you really like the fit, I think you can stomach that. But I'm not paying him $25 million a year. I would prefer not to pay him 20. Like, I would be most comfortable in that 15 to 18 range. Are there any other Dark Horse candidates that you see for him? Or do you think it's kind of down to those last couple contenders? Or do you see a world in which he goes back to San Antonio? Why? No, yeah, I agree. I don't see that either. <laughs> I see Dallas, L.A., and New York, and if he goes anywhere else, I am going to be shell-shocked. Yeah. All right. Let's talk now about a guy who isn't a free agent, but that doesn't always matter when it's the offseason because he's been discussed as a potential guy on the move as much as any of these free agents, and that is good old Benny Simmons. We don't know if he's going to be moved. Clearly, the Sixers are trying to move him, but they are also demanding a very high price tag, as you mentioned, with that Raptors deal, as we talked about last show with the Warriors deal. So what do you think is going to happen with him? Does anybody really care? Is anybody going to be willing to take him on at this point, given the possible price tag? Uh, no, and it seems like Daryl Morey thinks that you know every GM in the league is Mike Ditka trying to make a move for Ricky Williams <laughs> on draft night or something. I... Uh, Zach Lowe reported a couple days ago, um, nothing is close as of right now or uh, the night previous. He thinks that things are going to get into the summer. I really wouldn't be surprised just because of the asking price. But it's not because there aren't teams that you know aren't interested. There are definitely teams that are still interested in getting Ben Simmons. Uh, candidates, I think Toronto is still a very likely landing spot if they just lower their asking price. Now you also have Scotty Barnes. Um, and that's something that I didn't consider. If the Raptors are still trying to get this trade, you can sub in Scotty Barnes in your rotation and move off of Ananobi or Siakam now because one of them just becomes expendable uh, in a rotation like that. So I still think my top candidates are Toronto and Golden State. Golden State wouldn't have even entered those talks if they weren't interested. I don't think it happens, but those are the uh, two teams still at the top. And uh, Carson, I don't get it. Daryl Morey reportedly wants Bradley Beal or Damian Lillard. And... I just, I don't know what you can add as Philadelphia to, to pull the trigger on this trade. Like, do you give up Tyrese Max? Like, like, what do you add that entices another team enough to accept this deal? So, I will say that the Wizards are probably my favorite partner right now. And the reason for that is that we can say whatever about Simmons and his recent collapse in the playoffs and what have you, but Bradley Beal has one year remaining on his deal before that player option. And I know that he's talked about being committed to being a wizard long-term and all of that, but at some point, both parties are just going to have to look in the mirror and say, like, our roster is nowhere near where it needs to be. And trading Russ, I think they can say that they did that with Beal in mind or whatever, but they're not even going to push for a playoff spot this year. So I still like that, and I think that it is mutually beneficial because... The Wizards have to understand that Beal is probably not a crazy long-term piece for them. I mean, he's 28, obviously. He still has much of his prime to go and is playing some unbelievable basketball. 
but I just think circumstantially, it's not reasonable to expect him to re-up on another contract after he already signed a surprising extension for this contract that he's on currently. So, that is my favorite option. I do think that the reality with Ben Simmons is just you have to put the right personnel around him, clearly. And Philly has never had the right personnel around him. A big team like that where his space is going to be infringed upon, where he kind of has to be relegated to this weird role in the dunker spot, that's never ideal. If you give him room to roam and say, okay, you can be this transition force defensively. Lord knows we appreciate what you do. You are maybe the best perimeter defender in basketball. And then we can put you alongside a really dynamic actual point guard or lead guard of some respect to where you don't have to play that role in the half court you can be a role man you can be a short role decision maker and then we'll just put three other shooters around you we'll get a stretch big in there like if all those things happen Ben Simmons can be a fantastic player who truly contributes to winning even in the postseason I believe albeit that he has these flaws so I think that if you put them in a situation like Washington where they are close to starting from scratch, it's appealing given his age and given the tools that he does have. And uh, the Sixers certainly can't request more than Beal straight up, but I don't know that a Simmons-Beal straight up deal is actually that outrageous as far as value goes from either perspective. I want to ask then, so you think Ben Simmons is still, even after all this drama we've seen of him in the playoffs these past couple disappointing seasons, you still think he is a building block that you would anchor your franchise around? I do. I just think that you have to understand what his role is. You have to understand that if you're trying to win a title, he can probably be at best your third offensive player. You have to understand the passivity. All these things are very real about him. I don't want to pretend that I'm the biggest Ben Simmons fan in the world because I would have a very short memory if that were the case. Like What we saw was very, very bad from him, and his value certainly has diminished. I just think Washington is in a unique spot right now, and at some point, they just have to choose a direction because what they're doing does not make sense, and it is better to take a gamble and try to redirect, in my opinion, than it is to just keep going with the status quo, but then also downgrading your roster, trading Russ away, at least as far as this current team goes. They're not going to be as good as last year. It's just too weird, and the Blazers... Still somewhat interesting, but I don't know how you get a package together for Dame. I I would love it for the Sixers, but I feel like Dame is certainly valued more highly than Brad because Dame is like clear number one on a championship team potential. I mean, I kind of like the move for both sides if we get a Portland deal. I just think immediately in Portland, you already have that guard that you can put alongside Simmons. Like McCollum can be like a lead guy with a ball in his hands, in my opinion. I'd, I'd like that fit immediately more, but I just, like you said, bro, I just want the Sixers to dump him so they can finally genuinely open this championship window, bro. You don't want to waste another year of MVP Joel Embiid. And the time has been, it's been two years where you should have pulled this trigger. I mean, Carson, imagine two years ago, this kid's value was at an all-time high and the Sixers thought, no, he's too valuable. I mean, if they had pulled this trigger, maybe they already went a championship, but, um, I think they've got to get something done this offseason. So, I know what you said is your most logical. What's your favorite landing spot then? Washington? Washington. I, I just really like it for both sides. And maybe they do need to lump in something else with Simmons. Like maybe it should be Simmons in a first for Beal. I think that that would still be a win-win. Daryl Morey just has to look in the mirror and understand that nobody else is valuing Ben Simmons 
nearly as highly as he wants them to be. I heard some brief talk about him going to the Heat. The Heat are rumored with just about everybody right now. Like, there's talk of them trying to reunite DeRozan and Lowry in Miami as well. Don't like that. I think at that point, you're just looking at way too many great players in Miami who want to operate inside of the arc. Like, I don't think DeRozan and Jimmy can coexist. They do way too many similar things. And then to have another primary ball handler potentially with them in Kyle Lowry, just none for me, thanks. So I think that it does come down to the Wizards and the Blazers as far as the most intriguing, and I am Team Wizards. So we'll see if it happens. We'll see if reality hits in Philly, and they understand that they do not have the upper hand here because at this point, anybody taking on Simmons, if they're giving a star player back, is clearly the team taking on the risk. And they just can't run it back in Philly because the misfit is dramatic. It's been exposed over and over again. And there's really no combination of personnel that they can get in there that will fix it. But, good God, if Philly got Bradley Beal, dude, might be my title favorite. I don't know. We're definitely dipping into the theoreticals there. But the two-way ceiling, if you had a real perimeter creator of that truly elite level, it would be incredibly high. Okay. So we've talked about a couple teams that might be looking to really make a big splash. Perhaps the Knicks fall into that realm. Perhaps the Blazers do, whether it be moving Dame or trying to get the right pieces around Dame to ultimately keep him there and keep him happy. But who do you is the most desperate team to go out there and try to make that big move? So I think there's three uh, real teams to take a look at. Uh, I'm not going to go over Philly again, but I think Philly is in you know dire straits at trying to get off Simmons. That's why they're desperate. Um, the two teams that I think are the most desperate, though, I-, I think the first is the Miami Heat, again, with all the moves they're trying to make. They're a year removed from a finals run. They just got swept by the Bucks in the first round, and now they got 20 mil in cap space. Um, I don't know, man. I think when you've got – I still believe in it, dude. Like – I still believe in Jimmy and Bam and what they can do defensively and just the two-way ability of this team um, and what they can do in the playoffs. Like, Jimmy is an absolute dog. If you give him another a primary score, like a guy he can genuinely turn to and count on for, again, 20 points a night, um, I just I love the way the Heat's roster is constructed even to now, again, with Drogic, with Robinson, with Hero. Um, but I think they're desperate. They got embarrassed last playoffs, um, and they want to get back to the finals, and the East is still, I'm not going to say it's light, like the Nets are so clearly the best team out East, but there's a way, the Bucks showed us that there's a way that you can take them down um, if you play good enough defense, and I think the Heat have that ceiling. Uh, the next team, it's Dallas, dude, and we discussed them earlier, but I think Dallas is in... They're in that same boat that we were talking about with Memphis, where you were just too good to get that high draft pick to get that superstar, and you were going to have to do it somehow, some way in the offseason. Again, they just cleared up some cast base with Richardson, um, so they've got a little more uh, to do some work with. And, uh, like, if you don't bring in another piece that you can count on night in, night out alongside Luka, because Kristaps Porzingis, we have discussed time and time again, is not that guy that you can depend on. They need another star. And,. They're not going to get it through the draft. It has to be at some point in this offseason. I just I don't want to see another year where Luka balls out during the regular season, carries this team to the five or six seed, and then they're done after one round because he's the only guy you can depend on game in, game out. And even if that is, there's a lot of mini moves that I think the Mavericks can make where they don't need to pull the trigger on that star, but they've got to do something. Again, whether that is completely retooling this rotation or going out and swinging for the fences, I think the Mavericks are the most desperate team in the league. 
So let's talk about the Mavs for a second because I agree with you. I think that they are among the most desperate. I don't know if they would be the number one for me, but clearly Luka is not content. They've made changes with the head coaching, and they are not going to just sit around and tolerate another first-round exit. And I think that they have a lot of pieces to like as far as their depth. I think that they have that clear superstar talent at the top, and I think that if KP could be a number three player, I don't think that we would have very many complaints about him at all. Like, I think he could excel in that role and give you the tremendously valuable spot-up shooting. Like, sure, he's not what he was at his apex. We all know that. We've come to terms with that at this point. But the guy did just give you 20-9 and in the regular season on 38% from deep. And if that's your third best player, I think that you're pretty happy with that. So, I think that priority number one, I guess, as far as what's really likely is bringing back THJ because I think that although he may, at his essence, be a spot-up shooter, he's one of the best in basketball, and he just gave you 17 a game on 40% from deep in these playoffs. He's a dynamic weapon, and I don't think that his price tag is going to be insanely high. I would guess it'll probably fall just short of $20 million, and I think that that's worth paying him. And then... I think that the other ideal move is Lowry, but if it's not Lowry, I still think that they need to find more offensive punch somewhere. So the name that I am interested in, and I'm interested in hearing what you think of this, is Evan Fournier. Because although he's not a superstar guy, and maybe he doesn't bring you to that championship ceiling, and maybe you end up thinking that, okay, this wasn't an aggressive enough move, This market, again, is not filled with overwhelming game changers. And if you can add a guy who can score 20 a night for you efficiently, who can be highly effective on the ball, off the ball, give you that shooting, but also give you some of that secondary playmaking, can run some with the second unit, I just think that that would be a win for them. And I think that he should absolutely be a primary target. Is there anybody else for the Mavs you look at and say, okay, maybe they could make the splash with this guy? Yeah, definitely. I want to ask, though, so you want to bring back Hardaway and Fournier? Yes, I think so. And again, I don't think that that's enough for them to really go out there and win the West, which is tough, which is why Lowry is my top priority. But you can't always get what you want. And so I think that that is probably the second best option. I think there's a different route that they could take here. Um, I wouldn't pay Tim Hardaway Jr. I just think a $20 million asking price for a guy who is, again, like I think he's a weapon. I genuinely do, and I think late games, I think he can take a little bit of pressure off and make a tough shot for Luka. But in this role, in this offense, he is just a catch-and-shooter. So I'm not paying a catch-and-shooter $20 million a year. I'm going to try to find a cheaper alternative, whether that's trying to pay Duncan Robinson enough to pry him away from Miami, which I don't think is possible. But there's another guy, and maybe like Doug McDermott, um, but I think there are just other guys, Carson, that you can supplement THJ spot up shooting with that are just a little more interesting. Like, uh, you could get a Norman Powell. Um, there's a couple other guards that I like too, in different roles. Like, uh, I like Devonte Graham off the bench. I would like Malik Monk off the bench, Lou will to run the second unit. Like, I think these are smaller moves that they could make. And then you just need really that spot up shooter alongside Luca. Um, like, I like the Fournier deal, too, but he is going to be asking, like, four years, $80 million. I just think that's too expensive for a player like Fournier. I'm just not paying Fournier or Hardaway Jr. $20 million over the next four seasons. I just think it's too high of an asking price. Um, I don't know, though. Like, I think I think if you go out and you get Lou Will to run your second unit, you get a spot-up shooter like Doug McDermott alongside Luka and another guard, like I said, Norman Powell, Graham, Malik Monk. 
Um, I really think it is a uh, it's a cheaper route for the Mavericks, and I think it makes them just as good. So if they can't get Kyle Lowry, and if they don't make that big splash anywhere else, are you still thinking that way? Yeah, I, I, I yes, I dude, like honestly. I want them to swing for the fences and try to go out and get a Kyle Lowry, but if it doesn't happen, I think going out and just focusing on depth, I think it makes them just as good. Like, I don't know. I really like if they go out and get three or four solid guards, a pair of bench scorers, and guys that can play alongside Luka. Yeah, I think they're good enough. I think they're better than last year, and we'll, I don't know, man. I'll probably pick them to go to the second round if they pull the trigger on these moves that I laid out. That's interesting because I look at their rotation and I just don't think that depth is the issue. Like, I love Dorian Finney-Smith. I think that we both agree that Jalen Brunson is among the best sixth men in basketball. And I just think that finding the caliber of guys who are competent shooters that we're talking about here, like if they were able to bring back J.J. Redick for very cheap because I don't think he's going to demand all that much value, I think that you can do that. And then you can still add the dynamic, not quite star pieces, but really good offensive players like a Fournier or THJ. Because to me, if you're trotting out there with a bunch of Malik Monks and Danny Greens and just these solid wings who have their moments, you're in store for more disappointment. To me, if you're coming out next year and you are starting a group with Luca, THJ, Fournier, and then let's say... Dorian Finney-Smith and KP, or Maxi Kleba and KP, with then the odd man out between those two, so either Kleba or Dorian Finney-Smith off the bench, Dwight Powell, Jalen Brunson, maybe we see some development from Tyrell Terry, maybe we see some development from Josh Green, you have Trey Burke into the mix as that guy who can give you a little bit of punch, maybe you bring back Bobon as just a rotation big, it's like, yeah, it's not a championship group, but... I think that's a really good team. And if you're not going to get Lowry, I would rather add more really good players because it's not a long-term ideal solution. But like, if I'm adding Hardaway and Fournier on a two-year deal, let's say, a one- or two-year deal, I think that's a win. And I think that those are movable contracts because there is always a need for shot creators and big-time shooters around basketball. Okay, thank you for saying two years, though, because that that does change my opinion a little bit because the way my understanding is that Fournier wants four years, I'm not giving to four years to Hardaway or Fournier because then you're trying to move guys who are 32 and 31. We don't know what's going to happen over the next few seasons, and they're just a lot harder to move. It's not a bad layout. I just, I don't know, man. I want the Mavs to just make, (laughs) I want the Mavs to be good enough to win a championship. I don't know if what I laid out does it. I... They're going to be really good regardless next year. I just want them to grab that brass ring and punch through this ceiling, man. Is there a star or a quasi-star other than Lowry who you see as a possible option for them? Because I think at the end of the day, I agree with you. Like I don't love a world in which Hardaway and Fournier are their third and fourth guys. I don't think that's good enough. And I don't love a world where KP is their second guy, certainly. I just think it makes them better, but it doesn't make them good enough. But I look around and it's like, it takes a certain kind of player to fit beautifully alongside Luka Doncic. You have to have that on-ball and off-ball value. You have to be more than just a scoring presence, probably. And I don't know. I don't see a ton of those guys out there. DeRozan, I don't love. You're adding another creator, but really hard to play him alongside Luka. And then 
I, they're not going to be able to make a move for a guy like Dame, even if that were an ideal fit, which I don't think it necessarily is. I certainly don't want Ben Simmons there. Is there anybody to you? I mean, I think Kawhi would have been great, but obviously that was a dream for them and never seemed all that likely. I mean, like CP3, Lowry, and Kawhi are obvious the top dogs that would put them at that mark, but... Well, let me ask you then, like, because I do think that the guard depth here in this free agent class is kind of deep. Like, what do you think about if they added Reggie Jackson, Dennis Schroeder, Dinwiddie, or like Lonzo Ball on a, you know, relatively inexpensive contract, like $10 million or less to play off ball to Luka? Do you like that? Do you think, do you think they should just go out and get Fournier and Hardaway if those are the other options? Uh, what do you think about adding one of these, uh, pr- uh, like, premier point guards? Well, I just don't think they're getting any of those guys on a cheap price tag. Schroeder thinks he's the $100 million man. Lonzo, there's talk of four for 80. I think Lonzo could actually work there, but it seems like there are just so many other suitors. It's going to be tough to crash that party. Reggie, I think, would actually be a great addition, but I just have a feeling he's going back to the Clippers. I think he might might be the least expensive and would be a good option, but like to me, do I really think Reggie Jackson's better than Evan Fournier? I don't know. Uh, not necessarily. And so I just think that we're kind of making almost irrelevant points here. Like the reality is if they get those second tier free agents, it will make them better, but it won't make them better by enough. And that doesn't mean that they shouldn't do it because it is better to improve than it is to stagnate or regress but it's not going to solve all their problems. And so if they don't get Lowry, which they're probably not going to, this could be a frustrating season in Dallas. They'll still be a good basketball team, but are they going to reach the level that they want to and that Luka wants to? I don't know. So I will throw out another team that I think is in the conversation for the most desperate, and that is the Portland Trailblazers. The problem with them is I just don't know where the big splash comes from. I do think Simmons is worth considering. Not for Dame, though. I think that the good old-fashioned Simmons for CJ package with a couple other things thrown in there, to me, would be a win-win. Like, I don't think the Sixers need a top-10 perimeter scorer in basketball. I just think they need a guy who can close, who can get buckets, who can facilitate competently, and like CJ, maybe isn't on that Beal tier or whatever, but he still makes them a lot better. And then for Portland, you have a guy who has some interesting, versatile uses offensively alongside Dame. How does he work with Nurk? I don't know. But I think that that would still be an improvement for them. But again, who knows if Sixers and their overlord, Daryl Morey, will be content with CJ as the primary piece in return for Ben Simmons. I think that either way, Resign Norm. You're already screwed cap wise. You might as well bring back a really punchy offensive player. Norman Powell's another guy who I think would be ideal in Dallas. I think he's actually better than THJ. I think he's better than Fournier, but he does similar things just with a little bit more oomph off the bounce. I don't think he's a likely target, though. I think he probably does come back to Portland and. They're probably going to have to pay him close to $20 million a year. They're kind of going to be screwed. I think they're screwed no matter what. I don't know where they get that star asset, and I think that they are just probably marching towards the inevitable where Dame is ultimately going to leave, and so maybe trading Dame is their best option. I just don't know how you stomach that when he's the best player you've had in so long and are going to have probably in so long. Yeah, I mean, do you think he gets moved? Like, just... No, I don't. I think it's a possibility, but there was obviously talk of 
him possibly demanding out, he has aggressively refuted that, and that doesn't mean everything, but Dame strikes me as a pretty honest guy, and I don't feel like he would go after reporters if they were going out there and say, saying something that is just flat-out true. Maybe he would, but that's not my assumption. So I don't think they're at that complete breaking point yet, and until they get there, I don't think that they are going to want to move Dame because he is their foundational piece, but they just have to do some dramatic restructuring, man. I think that they do have to move CJ. I don't think they can just run it back with the same combination and say this is going to work because defensively they were much too atrocious. They need to find some real plus wings. And I'm just not optimistic, dude. Like they didn't do anything of significance in the draft, obviously. And I don't think that they have the kind of cap flexibility or really appetizing assets to go out there and get a huge stud right now. So they're just kind of screwed, but they're desperate and desperate and screwed is not a good place to be in. And that's where the Portland Trailblazers are sitting right now. Okay. So let's talk about now a couple of moves that have already happened, not free agency, but again, a trade in the lead up. And I think that outside of the Russell Westbrook deal, obviously, probably the biggest name that has been moved recently was Josh Richardson to the Celtics. So we haven't really talked about Boston yet. They're obviously at a very interesting crossroads given the disappointment of last season, but the potential that they still see in this roster. So what do you think specifically about that move and just really how the Celtics could handle should handle this offseason overall? Yeah, along with a new guy in the front office and Brad Stevens and a new coach. This is uh, <laughs> uncharted territory for Boston. Um, yeah, the trade that uh, you're talking about, the Richardson move, I think it signifies a few things um, to us. One, uh, they move off of Moses Brown, so like the center rotation is pretty much solidified. Uh, you've got Horford, Rob Williams. Um, they're not going to be going out after, uh, and Cornette, uh, if you like him, they're not going to be going after any other big men. I think the Richardson trade signifies they're not going after Fournier. They're going to get one year of uh, Richardson on an $11 million deal. And uh, they just made another move to acquire uh, Chris Dunn as well from uh, Atlanta for Tristan Thompson. So I think potentially maybe they move off of Marcus Smart as well. Like, they just do a lot of similar things. I don't want to give both guys minutes. Smart's getting up there in age. Um, and Chris Dunn's a really good defensive basketball player. Like, he's... I, Hold on. What are you talking about? Do you think that they intend to start Chris Dunn? Chris Dunn couldn't even get on the floor this year. I mean, bruh, like... I don't know, bruh. I think, Dude, compared to Marcus Smart? Look, Marcus Smart's a dog. I'm not... I'm not saying he's not. I'm just saying that they're two really similar players. Like, what does Marcus, what does Chris Dunn do even as well as Marcus Smart? He gets in the passing lanes. That's about it. Yeah, I, I'm gonna have to disagree with your train of logic here. I think that Chris Dunn is just like a potential rotation piece, piece as a defensive specialist. Marcus Smart does way too much of value for this team, for him to be passed up on for a guy like that. But continue from where you were. Honestly, though, like after these moves, I'm not, uh, I don't know, I'm not confident in the Celtics being able to build up to a championship contender to build themselves out of the East. Like they're kind of just <laughs> like, like the Trailblazers, man. I think the Celtics are, I don't think they're as desperate as the Blazers, but they are screwed. Like I don't think there's anything that they can do to dramatically get better. Um, they really need that dynamic point guard to get everything going. Again, very similarly in that Kemba Walker role, I just don't know if that guy's here and is going to be available for the kind of money that they're going to command. Like, like what point do you think that 
Do you think point guard's the biggest need on their roster, Carson? Yes. And I want Lonzo to Boston, man. I want it desperately. And what bums me out is all the talk is about Chicago right now, and it's also very possible that whatever offer sheet he does get signed to, if the Pelicans aren't able to get Lowry, they match it and they bring him back, or they'll at least have him there as a potential chip in a sign-and-trade. But I want him to Boston, dude, because I agree with you in that they need a point guard. But I don't think that the ideal fit is actually that tertiary scorer. Like, Jason Tatum, as a pure scorer, can be a number one option on a championship team. Jalen Brown can be the second best scorer on a championship team. What they need is more shooting, more playmaking value, more just smart quality basketball players, a little more defense, and that's what they get from Lonzo. And when they added Fournier... I liked it because I thought there's another creator, another shot maker, on ball, off ball, running with the stars, running with the bench unit. He can do all that. And I like him still as a basketball player. He did have a bit of a hard time finding a role and really producing in Boston, though. And so to me, if I'm picking between the two, the guy who adds the shooting, the playmaking, and the defense, whose primary value isn't scoring because I don't think that pure bucket getting is the biggest need on this Boston team right now, I just think that would be an all-around win I think that would make the Celtics really, really good and maybe not in that championship contention conversation, but I do think that kind of what could go wrong went wrong for them last year and they had COVID and they had endless injuries and just nothing ever gelled. And so I don't think that that should be like the bar for them. I think that the bar can be much higher and I think that it should be. And I do like the Richardson move. I like Moses Brown. He was at something of a position of need. Like, obviously, the Celtics' big rotation was weird last year. He's a guy who can produce for you as a role man, as a presence on the glass. But at the end of the day, I think Richardson is more valuable right now. And there's nowhere to go but up for Josh Richardson. Like, they really didn't give up much to get him in the scheme of things, considering that last year it was Seth Curry and a first, right, to get him into Dallas. He clearly does not deserve that kind of value right now. But in his best version a capable shooter, a capable playmaker, a plus defender, and Boston just needs more quality players. Like, they were so lacking as far as depth last year, and he can, at the very least, be a good seventh man. And if you're just giving up Moses Brown for that, fine by me. Yeah, and he's a player on a relatively cheap contract. Like, this Mm -hmm. is a win, uh, a big-time win for Boston. Let me ask you this, then. So if Boston strikes out on Lonzo... What other guard do they get, man? Is it Patty Mills time in Boston? Oh. Do you do you run campaign that bag? Like like what's the move? Oh, I don't know, dude. Like to me, if you're not getting a starting caliber point guard, what are you even doing? And I don't think either of those guys are really starting caliber. Like Cam, I love him, but again, he's a guy who is as much of a scorer as he is a playmaker. What I like about Lonzo is that he has that unselfish mindset. What I don't love about Lonzo is that he's not a traditional great half-court point guard. Like, he doesn't have this insane command of the game. But I think that him and Marcus Smart together, neither of them are those traditional half-court point guards. But in the aggregate, they bring you a lot of playmaking value. And I think that that's enough to where you can say, okay, the Celtics offense is not just going to be this crazy, weird, repetitive Tatum and Jalen Brown creating for themselves on the wings. We're going to have an actual point guard presence here, even if it's split between two guys who do a ton of similar stuff. Like, I just think that'd be a great backcourt, and uh, I think that it would make them a better two-way team. But other than that, 
no, there isn't an option that I really like for them. And a lot of people are going to be in the Lonzo sweepstakes right now, so it's not necessarily likely that they do end up getting him. Maybe you bring back Fournier just to say, okay, we don't want to lose out on this asset for nothing. We want to retain some offensive punch. But I really want a guy who is a competent ball handler, playmaker, decision maker, a point guard. I think that they need a bench point guard too, and that's where you can turn to a Patty Mills as an ideal possible pickup. I don't think that campaign is leaving Phoenix. He seems very inclined to stay, and for good reason. He just had an awesome season there. Patty Mills would be nice as a bench point guard, but I don't want to say, okay, I'm putting the offense in your hands, and I don't think that that's really even an option for them. So they're in a tough spot. I don't think they're in as tough of a spot as Portland, though, because I think that they have a little bit more flexibility, and they just have more reason for optimism because, like, I think it's more reasonable to expect them to get back to the ceiling we saw two years ago than it is for Portland at this point. All right, let's talk about the other side of the Westbrook deal that we didn't dive into as much on our initial reaction on our draft day pod because as sort of a couple of additional mini moves on the side have unfolded following that deal for the Wizards, their roster just looks completely different right now. And really the four biggest additions are Trez, Kuz, Aaron Holiday, and Isaiah Todd. What do you think about just the state of their roster right now? I mean, yeah, I don't think we need to uh, take too long on Washington, but I do like I do like some of the moves. Like we're gonna be able to see Kyle Kuzma in an expanded role a little bit. See if he can <laughs> see if he can live up to what he did during his rookie year. Um, I like that Trez is actually going to be in a rotation. He's not just gonna be X'd out. Like he can be a valuable rotation piece here in Washington. Um, and Aaron Holiday is a really good young point guard. I love that for the bench depth uh, in Washington. I think he could maybe start here uh, one day. But obviously, the biggest move is the Isaiah Todd deal. It finally gives them like maybe someone who could be a star after Bradley Beal. Like you said, Carson, this team is in absolute turmoil. This roster has no direction. This team has no direction. They have no identity. Like It's time to wipe the slate clean and... Uh, I think that they should move off of Beal this offseason. I think, like you said, it's mutually beneficial for both sides. Bradley Beal is clearly just toiling away, wasting his time with this franchise. They're not going anywhere. I just think Isaiah Todd gives them finally a building block to build around, and you have some solid rotation pieces. Like, I don't like Washington's roster. I haven't liked Washington's roster in 10 years. Um, but you know what? Uh, it gives them Isaiah Todd, Kuzma, and, and Aaron Holiday, I think, just gives them a little bit of optimism that you have some young assets when you had basically nothing. I mean, this team last year, bro, was trotting out Isaac Bonga and Anthony Gill. Like, uh, at least they have a little more depth here, and you've got some more young talent. Uh, I just like that. And, yeah, man, I do like it having uh, maybe some guys who can pan out and be good rotation pieces more than just having a bum in Russell Westbrook. And you know what I mean by that. Okay. A little strong there, maybe. I don't know if I would necessarily prefer this collection of unproven young fellas to Russell Westbrook currently. Like, there's always optimism in the unknown, I suppose, and the grass is always greener. And with these guys, you don't know what they are. And with Russ, you do know what he is. And maybe you don't love it if you're trying to win a title. Fair enough. But I'm kind of with you. I think that this is okay. I didn't love their haul from the Westbrook trade specifically. Because I just don't care about Trez. I really don't care about Trez at this point. I don't know what he does on a winning basketball team. He's just too awkward. Kuz alongside Hotch could also be a bit awkward. They're both, you know, kind of those 
score-first wings who aren't seamless off-ball presences, although Kuz is better than Hotch there because of his shooting. Kuz, I don't know. I'm not super optimistic about his long-term ceiling. Clearly, he's a skilled basketball player, but I just think he he's weird because he wants to be that bucket getter, but he's not good enough to say, okay, go be my number one bucket getter. Maybe he's a sixth man down the line, or maybe he just commits more to that 3 and D role, but I don't really see the latter being his way because that's just not really his identity as a basketball player but I agree with you I'm excited about Isaiah Todd and I really like the prospect of Aaron Holiday in a new situation because I've always liked Aaron Holiday I think he does a number of things well for his age but his opportunities diminished this year it's tough in Indiana there's just so many quality basketball players and so I'm excited to see him unleashed a little bit more. I don't think he has a crazy high ceiling, but I think he's a good basketball player, and that's nice for them to have in Washington. I don't think that this is anywhere near a playoff roster. I think it's clearly a step back as far as win-now purposes go. But yeah, I guess that there's something to be kind of excited about. Overall, though, I'm mostly just neutral on this. I don't think there's a superstar talent among this group, and... uh, at the end of the day, that's what the Wizards are looking for. They're looking for that foundational piece to be excited about, and they don't have it with any of these four. A uh, quick question uh, after the holiday move. Do you think uh, the Pacers getting Isaiah Jackson, does that signify that Miles Turner may be on the move at all? Interesting question. Not necessarily, I don't think, because I don't know if Isaiah Jackson is a guy who immediately has to be a starter. I think that you could also just be getting an energy nice backup big so I think that that's always a possibility I think anything is a possibility in Indiana because they are a team that may want to shake it up given the disappointment of this past year but I wouldn't necessarily have that as the takeaway although obviously it's a possibility because it's always a possibility and the fit is just weird there with him and Sabonis all right let's talk about what we could potentially see happening for a few interesting talented guys whose rookie deals just expired. One of them is Lonzo. We've already touched on him already, so I'm interested in just seeing quickly what's your favorite option for him, and then what's your favorite option for John Collins and Gary Trent Jr.? Okay, um, this is going to sound crazy. My favorite option for Lonzo, not going to happen. There's no chance in the world this happens. I'd love to see him go to the Clippers. Like, just play off ball to Kawhi and PG, another really good 3 and deer, um, who's going to help slick the wheels of that offense, and God knows the Clippers need it. Uh, not that they need it. It would just be, it'd be a little prettier out there. Um, I think you laid out the next really most fun spot for him in Boston. I think he's going to Chicago, though. They need a point guard desperately. They're probably going to throw him a bag. So I think the most logical landing spot for Lonzo, I think it's either Chicago or New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Do you like him in Chicago? Like, how do you think he fits in there? Like, alongside Levine, I don't hate it. Like, Levine's not a defensive plus. Uh, You know, like, Lonzo's not going to take away a bunch of touches away from Levine. He's going to be a really good catch-and-shooter off-ball. To be honest, though... I don't really like anybody in Chicago. I just wouldn't want to send anybody over there. Um, but I don't like. I don't hate the fit. I just. I'd like to see Lonzo finally go somewhere where he can play winning basketball. I agree. I think that honestly, he fills a position of need there. Like they have needed that true point guard. Can't be critical of that because it's not Kobe White. He's a skilled scorer, but he just is not wired that way. It's clearly not Zach Levine. I think it would be really good for Chicago. I think that it would make them a better basketball team. I think as far as winning games goes, might be more impactful than the Vooch move on its own. And I think it would amplify the value of the Vooch move as well. And again, I don't want to pretend that Lonzo is this brilliant, 
half-court floor general because it's weird for him. He can't run a ton of pick and roll because he doesn't have that super reliable in-between game. Like, he's not going to be a primary ball handler. He's still most valuable as a facilitator in transition, but he can easily play off ball because of the shooting. He's a really smart playmaker. He's a plus defender. He's just going to help you win games. But I agree with you. I would feel that it's somewhat wasted in Chicago just because it's not going to take them to a level where they're contending. And I just think that that's what they're marching towards. And I'm really perplexed by the vision that Arturis Carsonovas has for the Chicago team because going all in on Zach Levine and the boys didn't make sense to me when they did it with Vooch last year. And I don't think it's going to make sense to me if you're paying $80 million to Lonzo Ball over four years because at the end of the day, they're just going to be like, for what? They're putting a lot of stake in Patrick Williams and Kobe White becoming great NBA players if they're going to do that. And it's not that I dislike either of those players. I think that they both have tools, but they're really young right now, and they're far away from being at that level. So I think it's probably going to happen. I I might prefer it than seeing him back in New Orleans. I I just don't love him in New Orleans. I don't know. I mean, he plays good basketball there. I kind of want to see a change of scenery for him, though, and see how he performs if he is dealt that new hand. And Chicago's a fine option. I would prefer Boston, though. New York has been thrown out there. They need a point guard as well. I think a guy who can really command the game. And I think Lonzo would be good enough at that. But I would rather see Boston. And I would probably rather see Chicago, too, honestly. Okay, how about John Collins? Honestly, like, I could throw out some, you know, hypotheticals. Like, I remember you mocked a uh, the Timberwolves trade last year. That would have been fun. I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not gonna mock anything. I don't expect to not happen, though. I think he's headed back to Atlanta. Um, yep. The big rumor is that he's going to sign the 120 million dollar extension. That's exactly what I think happens. I think it's a perfect spot for him. He's the perfect partner offensively alongside Trey Young. He's going to be really fun to watch alongside Sharif Cooper if he's getting minutes too. Um, I, the only thing, though, man, it's just is John Collins a guy I want to play 120 million dollars? Like I don't think. I don't think John Collins is – he's a fun piece to have. He's a really fun piece to have. He can space the floor. He can go and get his own bucket sometimes. He's a he's so much fun to watch rolling to the rack. I just don't think he's worth all that money. That being said, though, when the Hawks do something like they did last year in the playoffs and John Collins was that big of a factor in getting there, yeah, he's going to earn his bag. Um, I think he goes back to Atlanta. It's going to be a really fun fit. I just don't think he's worth $120 million. I agree. I think he's going to go back to Atlanta. I think he should, but I think that 120 is too large. I've said that I'd be comfortable paying him like 18 million a year, and once you're surpassing that, I just think that you're exceeding his value as a player because of the limitations he has where he's a weird fit defensively, although he improved there and he's a super skilled offensive player. I think that he should stay in Atlanta. I just think I agree with you. 120 is unreasonable. But, hey, if the Hawks are willing to pay it, John Collins is not going to turn it down because there is no better situation for him than Atlanta where he can just feast as that role man, give that high effort on the glass, shoot the ball, doesn't have to try to be a five defensively because Capella can do that. Like, there is nowhere that John Collins will look better, and I think that's important to understand. And I do think he's a valuable player. That's a lot of money, though. Gary Trent, what do you think? I think Trent probably returns to Toronto this offseason. They've got the restricted rights on him, and uh, I don't think they'll pay any price tag, but I don't think he's going to ask that much money, maybe 15 to 10 million max. But for a player that's, you know, at his age range, like he's going to stay, he's going into the prime of his career the next three, four years. And I think a player like Gary Trent, who's going to knock down, 
you know, nearly 40% or more of his threes off the catch who is going to, you know, he can create a little bit off the dribble. I think he's a really valuable asset for that price tag, and he fits a uh, timetable for Toronto. Honestly, I think any team across the league could use a player of the caliber of Trent with his skill set, but with the restricted rights, um, I think he stays up in Toronto. I don't really see anywhere else uh, he goes. So, Honestly, I see it as a possibility for all three of these young guys to go back to their uh, home for their teams that they played on last season, Collins, Ball, and Trent. But uh, I uh, I expect uh, I expect Gary to head back uh, up north. And I would love that for Toronto. I just think that he's a guy who is so valuable in so many different situations, and if he's going to get paid like $18 million a year, then at his age, dude, 22 years old, as good as he already is, that is a home run. Like, had some explosive scoring performances. We know that he can be a real plus defensively. And yeah, probably never going to be a primary ball handler because he doesn't have the instincts, doesn't have a super developed in-between game, doesn't get to the rim a ton. But he just shoots the hell out of the ball, man. And you know what? If you can shoot the hell out of the ball and give me some defensive intensity and you can shoot the ball off the bounce and in catch-and-shoot situations... I love that. I'll pay you for that. And I think that the Raptors should. I think he'd be a great wing for them to retain. All right. Let's look at a couple of guys who are on expiring deals who are sort of on the opposite side of the spectrum, whereas teams are probably a little more higher and optimistic about those guys. These guys are, frankly, a couple of rejects, a couple of guys who maybe were disappointing given how they were viewed as prospects. We'll start with Malik Monk. Any intrigue for you with him and any potential destinations that stand out? Um, two primary ones. I already mentioned Dallas and I think any, again, like I think Dallas is good, but I think they need just a little more scoring punch off of the bench and Malik Monk provides that he is inconsistent. Um, it's weird though, man, cause I have heard a lot of teams are scared off by his shooting percentages, how streaky Malik has been. Um, but I think Dallas or Boston are logical landing spots. I think Boston still needs a little more punch off the bench scoring wise and he can fill it up in that six man role. Um, honestly, though, with his price tag, uh, I probably see Charlotte retaining him. He's got restricted rights. If somebody offers him a cheaper deal, they may bring him back. And then, like, uh, a couple of younger teams uh, in, like, Detroit or Orlando uh, are just teams that are going to overpay for him. Honestly, though, man, with Malik, you say reject. I don't really think there's a whole lot of intrigue across the association in Malik Monk. Yes, this is probably the cold, hard reality of it, but it wouldn't be an episode of Nerd Session if we didn't at least talk about Malik and what he could possibly be all throughout a destination where I think it's a team that is trying to win and there is a little bit of upside for him to really explode as well because they're still looking for those high-level creators. I would like to see Malik go to New York because the Knicks obviously are still massively deficient on the offensive end. I don't know. Throw him into that bench rotation and just say, Malik, go kind of do your thing. I love the flashes with him. Obviously, not really a guy who's going to drive winning anywhere. You're probably looking for best-case scenario like a good seventh man, even sixth man, I would say, maybe optimistic given how erratic and inconsistent he is. But I'd like to see him go to the Knicks. Why not? They take gambles on everybody. Might as well take it on one of my guys, and then I'll become more of a Knicks fan. There's another guy from that same class who has probably had a more complicated career up to this point. As high as the highs have been with Malik, and Lord knows they have been high. For this other guy, they've probably been a little bit more consistently up there, but also he's had a disappointing last couple seasons, and that is Laurie Markkinen. 
What do you think happens with him? I see three logical uh, landing spots. I don't think Chicago brings him back. Um, honestly, Laurie's just a guy that you're going to want for floor spacing uh, alongside a you know a non-shooting five or. I don't know, just a young guy that maybe you take a flyer on. I think Oklahoma City's a team that could take a chance on him just because they're so young. They've got some cap. Um, see what he does. You know, you need floor spacing out there. See what he can do alongside SGA, um, alongside these other young ball handlers they're bringing in. And then, for some reason, San Antonio's interested in him. I don't really get that one. Um, but uh, they've got Jakob Hurdle. They don't really have a whole lot of floor spacing out of their bigs. They were one of the worst three-point shooting teams last season. Um, if you just need a big catch and shooter, he can do that really effectively. The team I think he goes to, though, and he fits their timetable pretty well, too, if he is a contributing 15 point per game, nearly 40% shooter. Maybe it's a little much to expect of Laurie, but I think Houston makes a lot of sense. Um, you are really young. Laurie is still a young guy. And again, you need floor spacing. I don't think they bring back Olinick, and Markin is kind of just that plug in for him. Um, they do similar things. I think Olinick's a little better just because. Um, I don't know. The 40-point-per-game Kelly Olenek was a little weird that we saw these last few weeks of the season. Um, but I think Laurie does similar things to him, and I think that's a position of need. I just think they need big floor spacing. Again, Rockets are one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league. You've got cap space. Why not? See what happens. Yeah, those are all interesting. I'll throw out another young team that I think has more pieces ready to go now and will be making much more of a playoff push. What about a sign-and-trade to the Timberwolves? Like, it's weird because they're not adding any defense, and it would be nice to add some defense in Minnesota, given the deficiencies they have at almost every spot. Like, their best defender was a rookie, Jaden McDaniels, probably out of guys who really got out there on the floor. That's not ideal. They don't have that real point-of-attack guard defender, and they also don't have that great rim projector in Carl Anthony Towns. But you know what? Why not add a little more offense? And... If you can put a 24-year-old stretch four alongside Cat, I think that's a win. The price should not be high. And what I think they can do is like maybe throw Jarrett Culver out there. It's just a tiny bit of bait because if you're the Bulls and you can either lose him for nothing or you can get back Wancho, Jarrett Culver, and a second-round pick, I'm probably doing the latter, even though I think Jarrett Culver is not going to be a good NBA player in any world. So I don't know. I really, really like several of the Timberwolves pieces. I think Ant can be a superstar. I think Cat is already one of the more underappreciated star players in basketball. And I think Jaden McDaniels will be a top 50 player in the NBA. I'm super high on what he can become. Plugging the rest of this roster is going to be weird, but adding shooting, I don't think ever hurts. And they could do that with Markinen. I don't know if I love it for them long term. I wouldn't pay him more than like $13 million a year probably. But I just feel like people are so low on him right now, it feels. He could slip through the cracks. And I don't know, if you can shoot 40% from three as a seven-footer, I don't think you should ever fully slip through the cracks and be neglected. Because now the expectations for him just have to be different. It can't be okay. All-star Laurie Markkinen. It should just be really good role player Laurie Markkinen. And I do think he can be that impactful role player if he's put in the right situation to succeed. Any thoughts from you on that possibility? No, no, I love it. I mean, you're not taking the ball out of either of your big guys' hands and Ant and D'Lo. You can run him with the second unit. You can run him with the first unit. And like you said, the pick-and-pop floor spacing that the Timberwolves would have had, probably, I mean, do you, is there a better 
big man shooting tandem in the league than Markkinen and Towns if that happens? Not that I can think of. Like, those are a couple of guys who will bomb away and shoot 40-plus. So that's what I like about it. Give Ant room to work with. Give Delo room to work with. Give them those pick-and-pop partners, as you say. It's obviously not going to take them up to the level that they need to get to, and that is why losing the pick in this year's draft hurts so much for them because I still want to see them have that real foundational piece alongside Ant and Cat, or at least just great 3-and-D wings. I would love for them to add a guy on the wings who can give you a little more defensively, but... I just don't know who's there on the market. Like, maybe Danny Green or the T-Wolves really going to be all that inspired by him. I don't know. There's no real upside there. So, at the end of the day, their issues are going to be determined by how D'Lo and Ant can play together and what Ant can become. But adding shooting on the wings and with some more big men, I think, certainly would help them. And Laurie can do that. Okay. So, we've talked about a lot of individual guys now. Let's run down some interesting teams in this stretch. First off... Let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets, because obviously they have their big three forever, but a lot of pretty important role guys are expired this year and will be up for either re-signing or possibly to go elsewhere. Dinwiddie, Bruce Brown, Blake Griffin, Jeff Green, all on expired contracts. What do you think is going to happen with them and what should happen with them? I'd attempt to bring back Blake on another cheap deal. Uh, I mean, he was just really fun in this rotation, and he's Blake's still super talented. Uh, a really good rim runner, proved that he can be a really competent interior defender with what he did on Giannis. I would choose Blake over Jeff Green. I'd just let Jeff Green walk. I mean, yeah, Jeff brings some floor spacing. I just don't think he's that important in this rotation. I'd let TLC walk solely because he missed that game-winning layup that one time. Peace out, dog. Um, I'd probably look into bringing uh, Bruce Brown back as well, uh, just because you and Carvel seem obsessed with the guy. So, yeah, he's probably good at basketball. Um, we'll bring Bruce Brown back. Um, honestly, though, like after that, Dinwiddie's going to walk. There's no way they can fit that under the cap. After that, I am probably like maybe looking at a bench scorer who can fill it up. Um, and I think there's a few of those out here. And then just another five that can competently defend Giannis. Just a big body who is going to be on a really cheap contract. Um, I don't know. I don't really like the big man free agent market for those type of players. Like, are you bringing in a Dwight Howard? Are you bringing in JaVale McGee? I don't know. Those are really the only two spots, I think, in this rotation after bringing back Blake and Bruce. A bench scorer who can fill it up. And then just another big that you can reliably count on to eat on the glass and take out those big bodies out east, especially Giannis. So I agree almost across the board. I think that a rotational big is a need. A couple little notes, though. I don't know if they need to find an explosive scorer off the bench, and there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, presuming health, they can stagger their minutes to where they are playing one of their star guys at all times. And note two, I'm a huge Cam Thomas guy, and I do believe that Cam can be that explosive guy for them in stretches. Like, yeah, more ball handling, more facilitating always helps, but Cam can go get a bucket, and if you can have either Kyrie Harden or KD on the floor at all times, I just don't think that they need Dinwiddie, just like I don't think that they needed Levert. The only value to me there is real injury insurance, and that's not worth paying Dinwiddie $15 million plus. I don't even know if they could do that. Like, I think that they already owe $166 million. Like, they are just going to be bringing in guys on the minimum. And so that's where I would love to bring back 
Bruce and Blake, as you said, I mean, Bruce is a valuable Swiss Army knife. Blake played his role well here, played some good defense, shot the ball well, rolled to the bucket, had a little bit of extra hop in his step. And I would like to bring Jeff Green back, too. I think that as far as just being a pure shooter on the offensive end, a competent wing defensively, he did a really good job this year. He was 41% from deep. I just don't know what they do if those guys want $10 million a year because they just can't pay them that. So they have to sell very hard the you are going to win a title here angle. And that's probably going to be enticing enough for at least a couple of these guys. I mean, Jeff Green's a bit wacky. I think they can get back Blake, though, just by making that pitch. Bruce Brown is tough because he's so young and he has made no money at this point in his career, but he is such a perfect fit in Brooklyn that maybe you can sell him on, hey, go prove your winning value here Go win a title with us, and then you'll get paid somewhere down the road. I don't know. I think all those guys should be priorities, though. But, yeah, I just don't think that they need to make a big splash. I think that that's kind of where they stand. Let's look at a team out west that has a couple of interesting guys up for grabs. We always talk about them and how they can possibly take that next step. So, for the Nuggets, with Will Barton and Paul Millsap, both on expired contracts, what do you think they should do here? So Will Barton, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Carson, has a player option for like $15 million, correct? That is correct, but I think the belief is that he's going to opt out. Hmm. Um, if they can and bring him in for a similar price tag, I'd like him at a little cheaper. I'm not in love with the $15 million price tag on Will Barton. I'd probably pay that, though. I think Will Barton is an extremely valuable asset to have on this roster, just what he can do in the pick and roll with Jokic. He's been here. He's experienced. He competes on defense. Uh, I'd attempt to bring Will Barton back. I like Paul Millsap, but I just really don't know what he does in this rotation. I, like, I don't know. Like Paul, at his age, doesn't really bring anything else. He's not as mobile anymore. He's not a reliable floor spacer. He is a negative defensively. I'd let him walk. I'd contemplate bringing back JaVale McGee, and then after that, Honestly, Carson, I'm probably bringing in a defensive big man like a JaVale if you're not bringing him in, or I'd bring back JaVale, and then just pick-and-roll ball handlers. I'm not saying that... <sighs> I love Jamal Murray. We all do here at Nerd Sesh. You love Jamal Murray uh, a lot more than the uh, typical NBA fan, Carson. At this point, like I think we just have to accept that Jamal Murray's a little injury-prone, and come playoff time, you're going to need guys that can supplement his value and just run a pick-and-roll because that creates good, reliable offense for the Nuggets. So, literally, just a ball handler. And I like Bones Highland, too. I think he'll be a really good rotation piece uh, by year's end for this team, but I just think more is better. And there's, you know, some some really interesting pieces here that are pretty versatile, um, like a Bruce Brown, like a... You know, maybe like a Terrence Davis, like a Devontae Graham. I don't know. There's a lot of intriguing guards out here for the Nuggets to potentially target. I think you bring back Will Barton. You get a big man, if that's McGee or another rotational guy. And then just guys who can handle the rock with Jokic. That's interesting. To me, if you're looking for ball handlers, I just think Will Barton is the guy. Like, it sucks because he's not going to change their ceiling. And that's not going to happen until... Either MPJ takes another step or they go out there and make an aggressive move for a third star, which I don't necessarily think that they're going to do. But Barton's good at it, and he's better at it than some of the guys you mentioned. So I would just keep him for that scoring playmaking value. He's done it pretty well in Denver for a long time. And also, I should clarify, he's actually already declined the player option. So he is a free agent. There is no opportunity for him to come back on that one-year deal. And yeah, $15 million. It's a little steep, but it's just like, who else are you going to pay with that money? 
I don't think that there is another more appealing candidate out there. And then I trust Bones. I trust Monte Morris. I think that when Jamal is out there, they have enough good ball handlers, good decision makers, good scorers. It's just about being competent enough there until Jamal is healthy again. And by the way, I don't agree with you that Jamal is injury prone. He was very healthy for his first four seasons. He just happened to have a terrible, unfortunate incident where he tore his ACL, and we don't need to talk about that anymore. So I think long-term you can bet on him being out there and healthy. I think you can bet on their depth of ball handlers. And I think that Will Barton is the answer. So I don't think that they need to do all that much unless they're going to swing big. And uh, Paul Millsap, I just think, is eh, I don't really care. I don't think that they need him. I thought he had like a nice quarter in one of those playoff games. But overall, I find him to be pretty frustrating when he's not shooting the ball really well. And he didn't shoot the ball that well this year. He was 34% from deep. So he can be better than that. But eh, I would just let him walk at this point. Okay, how about... A couple of teams that we've already touched on a bit, but just briefly touching on some of the stuff that we haven't looked at already. The Heat, not only are they involved in all of this big chasing for these stars, they also have expiring Victor Oladipo, Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, and Andre Iguodala. What do they do with all that? So uh, Duncan Robinson is a must-have uh, back in this rotation. I know he struggled with his shot uh, periodically you know, through the season. I don't care. The kid's a marksman. You've got him on restricted rights. Whatever he accepts, I would pay to bring back Duncan Robinson. He's just an invaluable asset to have on this roster. Um, down to Kendrick Nunn, man, I don't know. Like Now that you bring back Goran Dragic, like his minutes always drop. Uh if if none's asking for a dec- a sizable amount amount of money, even like ten million, I'm probably letting him walk. And I'm for sure turning down Iggy's money, fifteen million dollars, whatever you old fart. Take this mid level exception and deal with it. Um, I don't really think there's a whole lot of moves that the Heat can make. Uh, I'm definitely turning down Iggy's money, and I'm bringing back Duncan Robinson. I don't. I mean, like outside of that, if you can't bring in that you know dynamic point guard like Kyle Lowry. Honestly, probably just three and Deers, and you know if you can't make that sign and trade, I mean to say with Drogic and Lowry, just three and Deers is what I do to fill out this roster. To be honest, agreed. Robinson, you got to bring back. Hopefully, it's not a crazy price tag, although it may be pretty high because he's one of the most valuable catch and shooters out there. But yeah, Iggy, they've already declined the team option, so he's going to be a free agent. And none, I just don't think that they need another okay ball handler and solid scorer. And I don't know where he ends up. I don't know if he's super valuable anywhere. Like, the dude is a skilled basketball player. He's at back-to-back years of averaging, like, 15 a game with decent efficiency. So you can't just look at that and say it doesn't mean anything. And he's done that on good teams, too. It's just they always seem to find options who they prefer more to be handling the ball, to be making those decisions. And I think that's kind of telling about the fact that he's just really a solid all-around basketball player. So I think that they let them walk. I agree with you. I don't think that they are in line to do all that much that matters outside of going for that one big star guy and trying to pull that off. Let's look out west here at a couple interesting teams. First off, the Golden State Warriors, who have been rumored to do everything under the sun. I know that now Warriors fans are excited about the possibility of bringing back Iggy, maybe on a mid-level exception, given that he is likely going to be leaving Miami. I feel like we've talked about every major trade possibility to the point where we just don't need to do that anymore. But what can they do to retool to actually try to bring themselves back into contention in free agency with the limited cap space that they have? Um, 
Yeah, really limited. I mean, like yeah. the Warriors have like the biggest payroll in the league. Um, yes, I, I think you need another reliable big, um, just a guy who can protect the rim at a decent level. Maybe stretch the floor. I don't really know. Like again, I do. This might be my least favorite big class I've seen in a long time. <sighs> like we get down to the weeds after Dwight Howard. Um, I think I think you just need another rotational big in some three and ears. Honestly, dude, like. Who can they target Carson that drastically improves them, in your opinion? Nobody. They can get one guy with the mid-level exception, basically. So I, you're just picking out a solid players there like Iggy. But that's fine, honestly, because you get some playmaking, some defensive value when he's knocking down shots. That's a pretty darn good player to have on the MLE. But other than that, dude, they're just going to look for a little bit of shooting. I don't know. Tony Snell, maybe, could be an interesting guy. But they're not getting a game-changing player. That's just not a reality for them given their situation. I don't know. Tice, maybe if you want that rotational big, I would not be as inclined to do that. I think that it's going to be a decent wing, and I think that they're going to have to live with that and be happy with that. All right. How about the LA Lakers, another team that is very limited in what they can do cap-wise? But how do they make this very strange roster work? Shooting. Period. Um, whatever shooter is on the market that you can get on a cheap deal, bring him in. It has been the Achilles heel of this team for the past two seasons, even though they won the championship uh, two years ago. They just need shooting. And now with the rest, with the Westbrook trade, you need it more than ever. And they're not there, Carson. You said this to me um, on the last pod. They're just, there's not a whole lot of intriguing assets. Like the best wing shooters you could get for cheap. Danny Green, J.J. Redick, Wesley Matthews, Wayne Ellington, Kent Bazemore, Reggie Bullock, none of these options are super intriguing. I like like my favorite out of this group. If you could swing Nick Batum or James Ennis, those might be my favorite options because I think my favorite shooter out of those guys is like Doug McDermott, but I don't think he's going to take an MLE. Um, those are the guys. Just bring in shooting. I completely agree, and I will say Batum is another guy who I think would be really nice for the dubs, bring some of that all-around versatility experience as well. But I think that you named the targets – I guess the only other question is, do you think that there's a world in which they bring back Dennis Schroeder or Andre Drummond? And if not, what happens with them? Dear God, don't bring back Andre Drummond. Honestly, bro, who the hell would want Andre? Like, I just don't. I I, I wouldn't want Andre Drummond on my basketball team. Schroeder's as good as gone, and I, would, I want to go on record now. That man is an absolute buffoon for turning down that contract they offered him. Um, and I don't know where else he gets that money. Um, the big thing with Schroeder, honestly, the Knicks seem really interested in him. They need a point guard. I think the Knicks probably overpay for Dennis Schroeder. I don't know what the hell happens to Andre Drummond. Maybe he sticks as a free agent until the start of the season. I His value has to be at an all-time low. Yeah. Uh, Schroeder to the Knicks is interesting. I don't know. They have to use all that cap somewhere. Are they going to prioritize him over D-Rose when they're going to fill pretty similar roles Maybe. I think that Schroeder should be a better basketball player, but this was not the prettiest year for him. And I want to say, uh, I don't know if you've heard this, the Lakers are trying to uh, have their cake and eat it too. Um, they you know, they pulled the rug on the Buddy Heald trade. They still want to pull that move off. Um, they've offered Schroeder and some other players for Heald, and the Kings just aren't yeah. biting. They don't want it whatsoever. No. Um, but that apparently, the Lakers are still trying to make a Heald for Schroeder and something else uh, trade work. Yeah, that's not going to happen. And I think you can look at this roster and say there's a few 
role guys who you would probably like to re-sign. I think that Caruso is a valuable player. Wes Matthews, as you said, it's either him or another shooter of a similar caliber. Markeith Morris, I'm letting walk. THT, I don't know. If some team wants to pay him like $10 million plus a year, just let him walk. I don't think that he really matters all that much in LA. He certainly showed flashes and like is a skilled basketball player. I'd like to have him back, but as far as trying to win a championship right now, I just prefer somebody in that straight up 3 and D role. I don't necessarily need that okay creator off the bench, especially now that they have Russ. So I agree with you. Drummond, I don't know, dude. He's probably going to retire. Not actually, but like nobody's going to pay him anything. He's just going to be Hassan Whiteside now. He's going to follow the Hassan Whiteside trajectory where nobody pays you and you just kind of bounce around from team to team and play like 12 minutes a game. And I think that that's appropriate because he's an archaic basketball player and he's just not very good. So I think that they have clearly put all their chips in on this Russ deal and we'll see if that's enough. But I agree with you. They need to scrap for shooting wherever they can find it and it's going to have to be for cheap. How about... One last team here that I think is kind of interesting. They probably won't do all that much, but the Phoenix Suns, because I I don't think that you can look at their exact core from last year and say, okay, run it back and that will be good enough, but they're also not going to be rumored for any major splashes. Campaign is up. There's talk, strong talk of them bringing him back. Doug McDermott, I know, has been a potential target for them, which I honestly would really like as that kind of dynamic shooter if they're able to get him in there at a reasonable price. I think it might have to be at the MLE if they're going to extend both CP and campaign. But I think that that's a big win for them. And then other than that, we've talked about wanting to get them a rotational big. If you could get a JaVale McGee at the minimum, I think that that would be great. But overall, as we've said before, I don't think that there's a ton that they need to do Anything else in your mind? Maybe just a couple other guys like uh, Jared Allen for cheap, Nerlens Noel, I, Mo, uh, Jordan Bell. I don't think any of those guys – Jordan Bell is the one exception I think you could get on the MLE. I think Allen and Noel are demanding money. I like the McDermott deal, though. If they can get another just pure bucket uh, off the catch, uh, he's a really valuable asset in this rotation. I would love Noel. I don't know that he's taking the MLE. Jared Allen, I think no way is he taking the MLE. He's going to go get paid somewhere. So I guess let's use that as a tradition to just sort of go rapid fire here with some of the leftover guys remaining who haven't fit into a category or a team that we've discussed already. Let's start with Jared Allen. Where do you think he ends up? The overwhelming spot that I think makes the most sense for Jared Allen is the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, They have needed a big man for a minute now. Um, The cap situation is uh, interesting. You know, they got about like 17 million free. That's more than a lot of the uh, teams in the league. I'd use it on Allen. Um, You know, you've got Kai Jones coming in. Kai's probably not going to be ready to play immediately. They're probably going to, you know, G League him, let him spend a little time down there. And he could still play the four spot. Um, Zeller sucked. Biombo sucked in this rotation. They added absolutely nothing but just being big bodies who could grab a board. Um, I don't know, man. I think Allen makes a lot of sense. He's a really good rim runner. He's a really good rim protector. It's exactly what LaMelo Ball needs, and he's not going back to Cleveland uh, after Evan Mobley got drafted. So I think the premier destination for Jared Allen is Charlotte. That's interesting. I like it, and I think he'd be an upgrade. 
I wonder if they intend on doing that with Mason Plumley in there, though, because I think that he can fill that role at a perfectly fine level. I think Jared Allen is better, but I don't know that he's a ton better. I mean, Plumley's pretty good. But yeah, Jared Allen was very productive. I agree with you. I don't think he's going back to Cleveland. What I have heard that I like is him to Toronto, because I think that although Boucher had a really strong season, I would like Allen in there as a bit more of a traditional five. And I think that if the Raptors are just trying to add more good players at a reasonable price, he's a good target there potentially. Okay, rapid fire. Kelly Olenek off of his phenomenal season. What do you think happens? <laughs> uh, bruh. Oklahoma City? I don't know, bruh. Like, he's not starting anywhere. He's going to be off the bench. Maybe New York just because they have cap space and need bench depth. Um. Yeah, I'll go with New York just because they have cap, and maybe they'll be fooled by uh, by a Linux end of the ca- uh, end of season campaign. I think that he could be valuable to a lot of teams that just need somebody to fill that stretch big role. I mean, he gives you a little more with the playmaking. Nineteen eight and four on fifty four thirty nine eighty four splits over twenty seven games can't just be ignored, Logan. But I agree. I don't think he's getting paid big. I don't think he's starting anywhere that is actually trying to win games. But I could see him providing value on a lot of contenders as just that rotational guy. So I would look at maybe the Sixers, maybe the Suns, if they can swing the MLE with him. I don't know if he'll demand more than that. I have no idea what his value is. Maybe the Clippers. I don't know that he's starting anywhere, but like I do want Kelly Olynyk on my team at this point. I think that he does enough things well. It's just you're not going to pay a lot for him, and you're not going to give him a ton of minutes. Okay, how about... His brief teammate, I believe, in Houston. I don't actually even remember if they overlapped. Victor Oladipo, coming off of a quad injury, is a free agent. What is going to happen with him? Ding, ding, ding. And this is the one thing that I think I want to lock in here. I'm going Victor Oladipo overpay to the Knicks, baby. Um, I think he is a... Dude, I just think Tibbs is going to look and say, Oh, my man, this guy can play such great defense. You know, he's going to... I just think Tibbs is going to be just drooling at the idea of overpaying Victor Oladipo on a four-year contract. Um, he's going to say, this kid's got a lot of potential. You know, he's super young. He doesn't realize that he's nearly 30 now. Um, my my lock for this free agency period is a Oladipo overpay by the New York Knicks. That's tough, man. We don't even know if he's going to play this year. We have no idea what he'll look like when he was out there. When he is out there, I remained an Oladipo optimist, but this is back-to-back years now where he hasn't been himself, could not reliably knock down a shot, and now that he is approaching 30, maybe 30 the next time we see him on a basketball court, and a guy who had such phenomenal athletic gifts, but is just going to be missing some of that. Huh. <sighs> I don't know what is going to happen with Victor Oladipo. I hope he nobody invests big money in him. Maybe it's New York, though. I don't know. Maybe that's how they spend all this cap space. That would be remarkable to me, but nothing is impossible. I am not even going to put in a bet for him. I don't know. I, I really don't think he's going to get paid anywhere. I think that he's just going to probably... Some team's going to take a flyer on him. They're not going to pay all that much, and we'll see if he can come back to actually being himself. Okay. Josh Hart, what are your thoughts? Cool three and deer. Um, you know, J- Josh brings uh, some some nice floor spacing, a little bit of you know, a little bit of a handle. Um, I'd like to see him go to a contender. Uh, I'd probably send him to. <sighs> Honestly, bro, like I like him in a few spots. I like him in like maybe a spot like Denver. I just think they need a 
maybe another three and deer. Um, I don't know though, bro. Like I don't like his value can't be that high around the league. I'd like to send him to a contender, like back to Los Angeles would make sense. They need three and D guys. Um, honestly, just any contender that has that opening. Um, Golden State, maybe if you could get him for cheap, is not a bad option as a competent three and D wing. Um, I just want to see him go to a winner. Yeah, I agree. I think Josh Hart's a winning player. I like that a lot. I think all those options are good. I would also like to see him go back to the Pelicans if they have the cap because I think that he is a guy who actually helps them win games with his effort, with his defense, with his shooting when he's on. So I think there's a number of locations for him. I don't know what he's going to get paid coming off that rookie deal, but he's 26 and I don't think he's going to get all that much better than he is right now. But yeah, he could help some teams win games, maybe Philly as well, throw them in there. I don't know. I think there's a number of possibilities. How about your guy, Rashawn Holmes, Sacramento King? What do you think for him? Um, there are a few destinations I could see. I could, <laughs> I could very well see a New York Nick overpay here as well. But I don't actually hate it. Like Rashawn's a really good basketball player. Um, my official prediction though is a team you laid out for Jared Allen. Uh, I think Rashawn Holmes goes up north, uh, fills up that role for Toronto, and I like it. You know, Holmes does a lot of really good things. Well, rebounding, floor spacing, ball movement, and of course he's got that Carson Breber signature floater touch. Um. Uh, I think Toronto is the landing spot for Rashawn. They uh, they really need a big man, and uh, I think he'll fill the role pretty well. I like that a lot. I think that if they don't get Jarrett, that makes sense. He might be better than Jarrett. I don't know. They do slightly different things, but they're both pretty darn good in their roles. If not, I think him going back to Sacramento makes a good deal of sense. I mean, he's their best big right now, and like I don't know how much you're going to pay him. I don't know that he's a really exciting long-term piece, but I think he did his job well this year, and I wouldn't mind seeing that. Any other names who really stand out to you? TJ McConnell is up. I hope he goes back to Indiana. I just love him doing his thing in Indiana. Patty Mills is a guy we've thrown out there. I would like to see him go to LA, maybe Philly, just a contender where he brings that shooting value. What do you think about those guys and anybody else who still is sticking around in your mind? Patty, definitely L.A. or Miami uh, is a bench point guard, I think makes a lot of sense. Last two guys I want to bring up, though, uh, Mello and Rudy Gay. Do you think they take pay cuts to go to L.A., or uh, do we see him fill it up somewhere else? Well, Mello seems pretty desperate to go to L.A., so I don't know. I guess that would be my bet right now. He's a man with an ego, but he's certainly been paid enough money at this point, and I think he would be a valuable addition there, dude. Like... God knows he's better than Markeith Morris, so if you're giving him 15 minutes a game, 20 minutes a game, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. Rudy, I don't know. I think that he might be, he's kind of a weird fit. Like, both him and Melo obviously still like to do a bit with the ball in their hands, but yeah, if he really wants to go win, he's still a valuable bench scorer on the wing, and honestly, that would make me feel a lot better about the Lakers possibilities for next season if they're able to swing those two guys for cheap because they're just quality role players and they're guys who can knock down big shots and right now I'm looking at the Lakers bench and they're just starved for guys who can do that so uh, Mello I would bet on it Rudy it seems like it's a possibility I don't know if there's a better location for him maybe there's another contender that sways him what do you think I definitely think LA is a possibility for both of them I'm banking on Mello to LA what do you think about like Rudy Gay in Philly though I think they need another bench creator yeah no, I like that. I probably like that more. I don't want to see both Rudy and Mello go to L.A. Like, that to me is, that's a little boring. I would like to see the talent split up. And, yeah, I, I would like to see Rudy and Philly for sure. Any contender that's looking for a little more offensive punch and just 
quality play on the wings. I think that Rudy is a nice guy you can plug and play there. So I don't think that either guy is necessarily making a difference. They're not winning anybody a championship, but they're quality guys who can slide into rotations. And for Philly and LA, those are like the prototypical need a little bit more offensive punch teams. And so I think that those make sense as possible destinations. All right. Well, with that, it looks like we are done for today. So much to get through, obviously, because free agency is just a massive event And we had a grand total of four days between the NBA draft and the beginning of free agency. So, again, we had to get through a lot. We weren't able to do the normal couple weeks of lead up or whatever. But hopefully this sufficed still. And then we will be doing, of course, our reactions and thoughts throughout free agency and as stuff really gets going there. So stay tuned for that within the next few days. But just to stay tuned for our content generally, you may know where to find us. But if you don't, you can... Watch us on YouTube where we upload every full podcast. Maybe you're already here. We also do some specific video breakdown content here on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at nerd underscore sesh and on Instagram at nerd sesh and on TikTok at nerd sesh where we are starting to get some cool content going as the off season is now picking up. So if you enjoyed today's pod, you can go ahead and check all of that out. But with that, as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh.